Welcome back, y'all, to episode 155 of the Zachary Wingate podcast, where we go 365 days bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. This is a journey of information, and the intention is to inform as well as entertain, and it also helps with my wandering curiosity. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. Okay, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, today we are going to be talking about the the Sinaloa cartel. Okay. Currently, right now in Sinaloa, there's a little bit of gunfire going on. Oh, Lord. Someone just hit me. Okay. So we're getting into it today. So what is the Sinaloa cartel? I've been wanting to do a little piece on it because... I do think that for some reason, you know, we think about these cartels within Mexico and sometimes we don't quite understand them, like what their intention is. We know it relates to narcotics, but it's so much more than just that. Um, If we kind of look at the genesis, if you will, of the Sinaloa cartel, we also have to focus on the Sinaloa region. That's where the name comes from. Um, And within that, it is a, to, to paint a picture, it's a very remote location, but it's also very fertile with growing land you can also kind of think of it potentially similar to northern uh california just a lot of growing thick dense nature and things like that um when we break it down originally you know there was a lot of farmers within sinaloa but what happened in kind of the around the 1914 era is when we really started to see a tipping point within the united states related to drugs narcotics etc and within the Sinaloa area, you know, even then there was kind of a need and a demand for heroin. So what we have is we have a lot of poppies being grown within that region as well as marijuana. So within the need and the supply and demand relationship, you know, there was a growing need within the United States of narcotics. Um, and there was farmers within the Sinaloa, Sinaloa area that were willing to grow it um, because obviously the government didn't have the resources to police it. And the farmers saw an opportunity. So the Sinaloa cartel went through a time period. Well, um, if you can think about it, there's a lot of farmers. A lot of different people were started to grow weed. Um, and out of those groups, you kind of have people like La Mayor or El Chapo who kind of merged from this, this, this time point where they were able to kind of bring different entities together and connect with different traffickers and networks to kind of start um, selling more and distributing more marijuana so whenever these cartels are created you know you can kind of think of them as first as a group of people banding together um it's not necessarily like a corporation where you're hiring people what you have is you have people who are bringing different needs within the the distribution chain so if you can think about it like this you have the marijuana grower let's say his name is juan juan is growing marijuana and he's part of an organization like the Sinaloa cartel. The Sinaloa cartel have developed a network of, of traffickers and people they know that would take a percentage of that marijuana, push it to the United States. And with that, the farmer would get paid from them, but it's almost like they're the middleman who's kind of taking it in and using different aspects like narcos and drugs to sell it. Well, we kind of see a transition point. Um, you know, this is happening through the 40s and 50s and really where we see a boom or a, or a transition, I guess, if you can say, where the Sinaloa cartel starts to become really a little bit more stronger, more influential, 
is through the 60s and 70s. Um, you have people like El Mayor, which is his code name, and he hasn't been seen in years. Who was and he was actually born around 1948. Um, kind of taking on the distribution of of trafficking from Sinaloa, um, and what you have is like you have different aspects of the cartel. So you do have kind of it's called the golden trialing triangle within Mexico, and you have different locations providing different needs. Well, eventually the Sinaloa cartel would break off, and you have different entities, different groups using things in order to create percentages, using things to create money. Well, what also happened with the Sinaloa cartels? They eventually started to connect with people in Colombia to help traffic cocaine because they built. All the supply networks needed understood how to move things across the border you know around the the 70s and 80s or so the 80s you have a transition point again so the next supply and demand if you will being cocaine coming in from colombia but what you have to understand about the cartel is like what they really do they're as if you look at them as like an organism you know, their ability to make money off illegal, illegitimate activity is really, really good. I mean, they're really good at it and they're able to do it in such a way that, that no one else can. I mean, there's 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 even records now. If we look at the Sinaloa cartel, where they're making up to three billion dollars a year off selling narcotics and etc. So we kind of look at this 80s time period where we have this explosion of kind of cocaine coming to the United States within the next wave of drugs because we kind of saw it with marijuana um you know obviously heroin has always played a part in it with through the poppies but the marijuana came into the united states this kind of developed the supply chain a good way to think about it with the narcos bringing it in understanding how to get illegal goods into the united states and then within the 80s we have um the next kind of gold rush of narcotics if you will which is cocaine this is crack cocaine it's as innocent looking as candy. So this is kind of where you get the next reiteration of the drug movement, which is crack cocaine. That was George Bush Sr. kind of going into it, talking and just giving a video about crack cocaine. Now, crack cocaine is obviously, I mean, all of you guys know, you take cocaine, you put baking soda in water, you crack it, crystallizes, you smoke it, and it becomes more addictive. So that happens more within the inner city. Um, you know, I don't know if the cartel was ever specializing in making crack cocaine. From what I kind of understand, they were just essentially trafficking the product, which means being the middleman for cocaine, distributing it within the United States, and then whatever happened from there happened. But it did drive up the demand for it once again. So this is where the Sinaloa cartel comes in and starts making more and more money. Well, as you have a process of making these cash flow, this is where you have to start really thinking about how to take your money and um, launder it. So creating illegitimate businesses or businesses that were legitimate in order to launder cash flow. So they start selling other things in the United States. You know, one thing to really keep in mind is that Mexico is our third trading partner. So we do do shade tripping. We do tri <laughs> we do ship and trade with them. So a lot of stuff was being sent back and forth and this was actually helping with the laundering of money and once you have it laundered you can then identify you can put it into legitimate businesses um if we kind of look at modern day situation this has also happened too with a lot of the legalization of marijuana within colorado 
because the federal government doesn't identify marijuana as being legal what you have is you have the state government taking sometimes the cash that is actually put into safes that are inside these buildings and they're going off to the mint and different government entities in order to be in a way laundered and the cartel kind of identifies this as an opportunity and you better believe that they're also putting money within that to launder it and bring it back and to legitimize it so you know we really look at the cartel as an entity that will always find a way you know and in a lot of ways as we kind of think about capitalism supply and demand the cartel is just taking on that approach now, where it kind of changes is how they utilize violence, you know. So when we think about violence, you know, I think the average person, the average civilian thinks about violence as something really bad and doesn't really understand the nature of it. Um, you know, if you look at these cartels, they're using violence and like they're dangerous, but a lot of them use violence for different means. So if we look at kind of El Chapo, and the Sinaloa, Sinaloa cartel now, or modern days, or in the last 25 years, obviously they killed a lot of people and there's a lot of bloodshed there, but they were using violence in a strategic way, which means they were they were using it and applying pressure when they needed to. And, you know, the you know El Chapo really is the face of the Sinaloa cartel, but there's a lot more, many individuals who are just as powerful or more powerful than El Chapo. Um, people are calling his sons kind of like the leaders, but you know, if you look at El Meyer, who kind of teamed up with El Chapo and hasn't really been seen in 50 years, you know, he's also a strong integral part of the Sinaloa cartel. So we kind of have to really understand that it's it's a fluid organization. There's a lot of things moving. It's a group, it's a band, it's, and its main intention is to focus on making a lot of money illegitimately and using violence as a means of win needed you know and if you kind of look at el chapo he kind of has this robin hood mentality where he's taking the drugs you know and selling them to the gringos in gringolandia and then taking that money and bringing it back to mexico and supporting the people you know in a lot of ways he has that 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 mentality but on the flip side of it you have kind of this this harsh um violent demeanor growing from other cartels who potentially want to play for that power and you have this term kind of coming out called plata or ploma, which means, you know, um, lead, um, like gold or lead. Would you prefer to be paid or to be killed? So that's really seen throughout um, kind of the identity of, of how it happens, because originally, you know, there's a lot of money being spent, but violence is used. You get a lot of people who think it's a crazy entity and they have to kill a lot of people in order to maintain it. And you have the violent mentality. Then you have the slow roll who identifies it like an El Meyer who's been in the business forever, understands it thoroughly and understands it's for making money. Well, if you look at kind of what the Sinaloa cartel does has done for violence, they use it when needed. They strategically use it. They're not going in and pushing down old ladies and knocking up shopkeepers. They're helping people within their community because in the Sinaloa area, they identify you know these things kind of help them. An example of this is El Chapo literally, um, he evaded the jails three times. The first time he dunked through the tunnel and that kind of got him out and that kind of brought in the legendary status in the United States and in Mexico. The second time he eluded as well. And the third time he was extradited to the United States. So 
those things kind of brought El Chapo into the the public eye but you know within the cartel they've been really gaining more and more power within the last 20 years you know it's why too like you don't hear about a lot of gangs you know selling drugs like they used to the cartel has kind of come in and made it into a more streamlined approach a streamlined business you know we see we see kind of that aspect of them and it's kind of you know and we really focus on the violence it's like looking at El Chapo's son which that's kind of what sparked this kind of interest is his son was detained by the military and they started shooting down planes and shooting at you know military helicopters and you see these tracers in the night and this crazy amount of violence going on and if you look at the Sinaloa cartel you're kind of like why are they being really violent well actually in 2019 we see um the same situation happen where Chapo's son was arrested by the military government a thousand uh a thousand like commando cartel individuals came into Sinaloa started battling like fighting creating a lot of conflict blowing things up and putting so much military pressure within that region the Mexican government had to let him go um and this is kind of where you see the transition point too of what happened now is is putting so much pressure on the government and they're doing the same thing and they're trying to get them to go again to see if it if it happens the same way it happened in 2019 but you know you think of the chapa's son is in a military base they're fighting the military right now and they're trying to get the same thing to happen but really what's different about the sinaloa cartel is kind of i'm um, summing it up is you know if i can put it down into three points the first one is they're all about logistics so moving things they've been doing that for a really long time the next one is any means necessary they will use violence and they will pay off politicians so a lot of cartels might have been buying guns the sinaloa cartel really focused on paying money and number three they will always find a way so those are kind of the things that are being created and i can't see the sinaloa cartel going away any soon even with the the arrest of chapo's son so We'll see what happens to him in the future you know obviously the united states has a love for cocaine so that's why they're going to keep purchasing it and, and the demand is still going to keep creating these types of environments and now the sinaloa cartel is also worldwide you know and probably in 70 percent of all countries so thank you guys for listening i appreciate all the support we will get back to you tomorrow and uh have a good one